global crisis. Bible prophecy. Health and preparedness. You're just in time. 11th Hour Dispatch. Father, we thank you so much for the precious little ones in our care. May we never have irritation and impatience and words that sour the temper and harm the little souls. Give us the character of Christ towards them, of infinite patience, love, connection, and step by step leading them up this mountain. We need your power. We need your grace. We need your strength. Lord, we cannot do this in our own strength. We feel so weak. I've never felt so weak as when being a parent. It reveals all of our imperfections and all of our weaknesses. And what a wonderful thing because we know from the scriptures that in our weakness, your strength is made perfect. And so I appeal on behalf of all of the families feeling that same way of wanting their children to be in the kingdom, wanting their children to be the final missionaries that spread this final message. Lord, what an epic time to be alive. This last generation of children, we know there's a target on their backs on the part of the enemy. We pray that you would be a shelter and a shield for our homes. I pray for a hedge of protection around every Christian home, that the influences of the world would not be impeding upon our work and our homes, that our own busyness and our own overcommitment would not be getting in the way. Help us to make firm decisions, even right now, to train our children according to your ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If we teach our children that their misbehavior will always earn a fair wage of pain, then we've completely negated the gospel. Let me give you this example. If the child has misbehaved, and you're enforcing the rules, you're going into the disciplinary experience, and they have repented, and confessed, and their heart has been melted with, with a desire to make things right, and they feel sorry for what they've done. And then you say, now it is time to apply the rod of correction, and I'm going to inflict pain upon you to equalize the sin that you have engaged in. And then we will ask God forgiveness for your sins. Wait a minute. What you're teaching them is that Christ's punishment that he took on the cross was not sufficient that they have to take it to. Now, don't take my word for this. Your children may have done something that demands punishment, but if you deal with them in the spirit of Christ, their arms will be thrown about your neck. They will humble themselves before the Lord and will acknowledge their wrong. That is enough. They do not then need punishment. Wow. So when when you're dealing with them in their sin, you are teaching them more about God's grace and forgiveness and about the gospel than at any other time. What a wonderful opportunity Reading on with this, do not become impatient with your children when they err. When you correct them, do not speak abruptly and harshly. We're reflecting God's character. Neither infants, children, or youth should hear an impatient word from father, mother, or any member of the household. And you think that in the day of God's judgment, anyone will regret that he has been patient and kind with his children? Harsh words sour the temper and wound the hearts of children. In some cases, these wounds are difficult to heal. Never, never are you to show a tyrannical spirit in the home. 
The man who does this is working in partnership with satanic agencies. To manifest passion toward an erring child is to increase the evil. Now, I know you might be thinking at this point, well, this sounds like they might be getting away with it then. I'm supposed to get angry. I'm supposed to come at them with the punishments and this is supposed to be a painful, unhappy experience. No, disobedience is never allowed and there is always consequences when they disobey. But this issue of retributive justice has already been dealt with on the cross. Christ already took all of our sins upon him. Discipline means to teach. Okay, let's get into that. How do we teach that? We impose consequences. Sometimes there are natural consequences, and we don't have to do much imposing. When children misbehave, sometimes bad things just happen, and they go, ah, I don't like what just happened. Well, they've just learned. And you look at them, and you feel for them, but you also go, you know, that's, that's a good way to learn. Uh, they, the, the baby drops his food on the floor, drops his toy, and has this game of, I want mom to pick it up, and I want to be in control here. And, well, the toy's gone now. Well, they just learned. So you didn't have to impose any consequence. You didn't have to engage in any punishment. The discipline is natural. Uh, if they eat their dinner slowly, well, you know what happens? You're lollygagging. You're not eating at the normal human pace of eating a dinner. You're, you know, shunning your certain parts of your meal that you didn't want to eat. Well, guess what happened? Dessert got put away before you were done. That's kind of a natural consequence, isn't it? You mistreat your sibling. Well, they're going to run away from you and not want to play with you anymore. Oh, that's kind of sad. Now I'm alone. That's a natural consequence, a good teaching lesson. You mistreat your toy, an object, it breaks. Those are natural consequences. But sometimes life doesn't dish out natural consequences to children. And so we have to impose logical consequences. You're not supposed to throw the ball in the house. The child throws the ball in the house. Well, now you take the ball, you put it up on top of the fridge. You don't get to have your ball anymore. And that's the consequence. They complain about food. Well, now since you have shown disrespect to the cook and explained, uh, displayed impolite manners, can learn to eat it with joy and gratitude. And, uh, you know, if one thing we did with Levi was we, he was sick and we would give him, uh, what do you call that, black elderberry syrup, this, uh, you know, herbal stuff. And, and it, it, he would do that, right? He'd turn his head away. Uh, you know, this turning head away, you know, that's, that's, that's a disrespectful thing. We always teach our, our children, the young children, you know, if I hand you something, you take it. If I put my hand out to receive something from you, you give it. You know, it's, it, there, there are verbal gestures that require obedience. And, well, since you turned your head away, you know, we're going to have a consequence now that you're going to get two spoonfuls of that. So you can learn to do it right. And it's not like in a kind of way. It's just a, a very sincere, actual, real, you know, I really want you to learn to do this right. So we're going to do it a couple of times to practice. They're not sharing their toy. Uh, they're not coming to mom right away when they're playing with a toy. Well, what's going to happen to that toy? Logical, imposed consequence. Now that toy is being taken away because that toy was the temptation for you to disobey mom and, you know, you didn't come right away because you were, you know, this toy had become, uh, you know, a greater, greater thing to you than your mother. You spill the carton of, of milk because you had bad manners. Well, you now have the responsibility, this is kind of a natural consequence, to pick up, to clean up the milk, the almond milk, whatever kind. Um, didn't clean up the house properly. Well, this was the evening time where if you got the cleanup done, got your toys picked up in time, then you'd have a full length of a fun bath experience with the toys with your brother. Well, since you did a lot of lollygagging, I use that term a lot. I heard that one from my dad. You slacked off, you did this and that, and went this way and that way and played with your toys. Well, now bath time is short. And so that's more of a natural consequence, isn't it? Well, 
You get the picture. You impose logical consequences when natural consequences aren't in place, and they learn the kinds of behavior that mom and dad don't want me to do lead to negative things that I'm not that I don't enjoy. When I do behaviors that they that they are teaching me to do, that leads to positive consequences. So we talk about positive consequences with our kids as well. And these things will teach them over time. Now, the exact consequences and punishments and uh, positive consequences and rewards and, and negative consequences that you use, the exact ones that you choose, are not the most important thing. What George Barna found in his research, he found that the types of consequences used were not the most important thing. He found parents who had raised their children to become spiritually strong young adults who were regular spankers and others who never spanked. And you might say, well, which one is the right way to do it? Spiritually strong young adults were raised by both kinds of parents. What he found in the research, and then we'll see the inspiration, which is even better on this, but what he found in the research is this. If the rules were reasonably were reasonable and based on the Bible, if they were consistently enforced in some effective manner, using consequences of some kind, if the rules were enforced without malice, and the parents controlled their anger and frustration because they realized the damage they could do with words to their children, if both parents were on the same page, by the way, see page 312 of Adventist Home about how one parent's too severe and the other too indulgent. That's very important. If the parents lived out what they were asking of their kids, if they always treated their kids with respect as image bearers of God and didn't belittle them or accuse or condemn, if parents were willing to apologize when they got upset, then the types of consequences chosen were not the critical factor. Now, the types of consequences that we do use matter, but those are by far the most important thing. I believe biblically there is a place for the route of correction. I mentioned the spanking thing. That's kind of the big debate. Proverbs 22.15 says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. So this is the kind of pretty intense punishment or consequence that comes in when you're encountering outright rebellion. In run-of-the-mill, day-to-day misbehaviors, we have consequences, we're teaching them, we're not doling out the you know, spankings for uh, you know, constantly. You're going to hear the inspiration on this. Don't take it from Barna or me. Let's just dive right in. Here's what you do when you face rebellion. When your children do wrong and are filled with rebellion and you are tempted to speak and act harshly, wait. That's the first thing you do. You wait before you correct them. Give them an opportunity to think and allow your temper to cool. Before correcting them, go by yourself and ask the Lord to soften and subdue the hearts of your children and to give you wisdom in dealing with them. You cannot make a child understand spiritual things when the heart is stirred with passion. There's a wonderful power in silence. So, and more importantly, if you're upset, there's a wonderful power in connecting with the Spirit and not disciplining when you are angry. Discipline them only when you are under the discipline of God. Child Guidance 2.45. Now, continuing on, what else do we do when we face rebellion? When I have felt roiled and was tempted to speak words that I would be ashamed of, I would keep silent and pass right out of the room and ask God to give me patience to deal with these children. Then I could go back and, walk and talk with them and tell them that they must not do this wrong again. Here's what you do next. When you come back and talk to them with your heart full of pity and sorrow for your erring children, pray with them before correcting them. 
that prayer may make such an impression on their minds that they will see that you are not unreasonable. And then it tells us exactly what to pray. As you bow before God with your child, you will present before the sympathizing Redeemer his own words. Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. That prayer will bring angels to your side. Your child will not forget these experiences, and the blessing of God will rest upon such instruction, leading him to Christ. When children realize that their parents are trying to help them, they will bend their energies in the right direction. Child Guidance 287 also says that you tell them how much their disobedience has grieved the Savior. And you have a very serious, sober tone about this. Because you're not all upset and angry, because you've gone away first. You've breathed and calmed that dorsal vagal nerve. You've prayed to the Lord. You've spent that time. What we've done, and we'll put our, our son on the couch, and then we go away. And we, tell, we suggest that he pray. But then we come back and we pray together. And we sit down with them. And one thing, we, we used to have them sit over there, but then we said, you know what, let's have this be a intimate and loving experience. And so we, we now hold our children on our lap during this time. And we, we pray that prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you that you said, let the little children come unto me. Thank you that we can come to you now. And that we can learn proper behavior. And that we can have your forgiveness. And we pray that you'd give us a new heart. In Jesus' name, amen. And then we talk about the misbehavior and what has taken place. And we allow the child to form that repentance. You're listening to 11th Hour Dispatch with author, teacher, and speaker Scott Ritzmer. For more programs and information, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Romans 12 verse 2 tells us that there is an effort to conform our minds to the worldly pattern. And where is this mind manipulation agenda more effective than through the 21st century media and entertainment? MTV founder Robert Pittman famously stated, At MTV, we don't just shoot for the 14-year-olds, we own them. It's time to wake up, folks. At every church I speak at, folks say the same thing. Scott, why didn't anybody tell us this before? So, folks, grab a pencil and write this down. Media on the Brain. It's a six-DVD series that will arm you with the vital information on the undeniable effects of entertainment media and how to break free. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. Merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescue the souls of men. Now, very young children, they don't have as much of a conscience developed yet. Uh, They understand right and wrong. They know what's right and wrong. But they don't feel as much remorse and sorrow for their sin when they're very young. Uh, That develops more age five and onward. Uh, But we're teaching the, the, the thoughts and the words that go along with those feelings that will later develop. And such 
Disciplining will nearly always break the stubborn heart. We read there. So if there is a change of heart, remember we read earlier, they do not then need punishment. So you don't, if, if, if they confess and they say, I'm sorry, and they ask God's forgiveness, and you see that they're submissive to you once again, I mean, you can see if there's still some rebellion, but if you see that they have had a, a heart change there, they do not then need punishment. What a wonderful moment of forgiveness. Now, what we will do is we will say, now, Levi, since you engaged in this behavior, there are going to be some consequences that come from that. And so we use these words, consequences. And so this is the teaching moment. This is not punishment in that sense of the rod of correction or anything. But once they've repented, now to help you learn not to do this again, here's the consequence. You know, your toy will be taken away or whatever that might be. Now, here's the thing, though. Some children are so vicious in their tempers that the infliction of pain is necessary. But very many cases are made much worse by this manner of discipline. You may have to punish with the rod. This is sometimes essential. But defer any settlement of difficulty of the difficulty until you have settled the case with yourselves. Ask yourself, have I submitted my way and will to God? Have I placed myself where God can manage me so that I may have wisdom, patience, kindness, and love in dealing with the refractory elements in the home? She should not use the rod if it is possible to avoid doing so. But if milder measures prove insufficient, punishment that will bring the child to its senses should, in love, be administered. Frequently, one such correction will be enough for a lifetime to show the child that he does not hold the lines of control. And when this step becomes necessary, the child should be seriously impressed with the thought that this is not done for the gratification of the parent or to indulge arbitrary authority, but for the child's own good. So you heard this may need to be some children that, and in some cases, avoid wherever possible. If milder measures fail, then we may need to do that. George Barna found in his research that successful parents did not believe in the argument that parenting behaviors toward the children need to be equivalent for each child in order to be fair. No, some children may need that and some may not. And also the rod doesn't necessarily have to be a literal physical, you know, grab the wooden spoon and, and, and slap the bottom experience. The rod can be a very firm and serious consequence that's more than just a normal consequence. And, and, and you know, that can teach them as well. Those are the milder measures that we just heard about that you would want to use in advance of a literal spanking. But, um, you know, I, I do think that what we've gotten from these quotations is that what the research shows about just consistent spankers, where there's all kinds of spanking going on, that this doesn't help the development of the child. These are in extreme situations where you've had the conversation here. The rebellion is manifesting still, and there's no breaking down of the heart in repentance. That's when there may be situations where that needs to come in. But use milder measures first. Never raise your hand to give them a blow unless you can, with a clear conscience, bow before God and ask his blessing upon the correction you are about to give. Never give your child a passionate blow unless you want him to learn to fight and quarrel. If you wish to ruin your family, continue to govern by brute force, and you will surely succeed. I have said that to shake a child would shake two evil spirits in while it would shake one out. Be so calm, so free from anger, that they will be convinced that you love them, even though you punish them. 
pretty much settled that. Now, here's the end goal of the discipline experience. The true object of reproof is gained only when the wrongdoer himself is led to see his fault and his will is enlisted for its correction. When this is accomplished, point him to the source of pardon and power. And that is a celebration moment. When you see, and you've had that experience, hopefully before milder measures and before a rod of correction, hopefully that the, 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 the heart is broken down in repentance and there's an experience of, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Hopefully at that moment, you can say, now let's pray that prayer to God. And they pray, please forgive me for doing such and such. And they apologize to mom or dad or brother or sister or the cat or whatever. And they have that experience of receiving God's grace. What a wonderful spiritual lesson. This is the life of the Christian being lived by the child as we are leading them. And if necessary, the rod of correction takes place. That brings them to their senses. And then they're like, oh yeah, that really was stupid. I shouldn't have done that because that really does bring pain. If they have a more vicious temper, if some children may need that. That's going to require a lot of prayer too, isn't it? We have to be led by the Spirit. And I'm going to say this. I'm not going to. I'm going to let inspiration say this. If you're going to err, every true teacher will feel that he should, if, that should he err at all, it is better to err on the side of mercy than on the side of severity. Clear enough, yes? By the way, you can also use inducements, not just consequences and punishments. I like this little example from the life in the White household. Instead of punishing them when they did wrong, I would hold out inducements to them to do right. One was in the habit of throwing herself on the floor. This was a child she had taken into her home. If she could not have her own way. I said to her, if you will not lose your temper once today, your Uncle White and I will take you in the carriage and we will have a happy day in the country. But if you throw yourself on the floor once, you will forfeit your right to the pleasure. So you can have positive consequences as well. Now, before we shift into the very last Barna study and the very last quotations of the Raising the Remnant seminar, I want to encourage all parents, if you're beating your head against the wall over your child's behavior, we all struggle with our children's behaviors, okay? We all have moments of discouragement, even even despair, all right? Now, I, I want to read to you a portion of child guidance because this has been such an encouragement to me as I think through my own personal failures and the struggles that I've faced in my own home. Page 242 of child guidance. You can read this and reread it. And it says the following. The heading is, Be Not Weary in Well-Doing. It says, The work of parents is continuous. It should not be laid hold of vigorously for one day and neglected the next. Many are ready to begin the work, but are not willing to persevere in it. They are eager to do some great thing, to make some great sacrifice, but they shrink from the unceasing care and effort in the little things of everyday life. The hourly pruning and training of the wayward tendencies. The work of giving instruction, reproof, and encouragement, little by little as it is needed. They wish to see Children correct their faults and form right characters at once, reaching the mountaintop at a bound, and not by successive steps. And because their hopes are not immediately realized, they become disheartened. Don't become disheartened. Let all such persons take courage as they remember the words of the Apostle, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So when you see those leaps and bounds not happening, 
walk them step by step up this difficult mountain of life, this difficult mountain of breaking bad habits of disobedience, and through loving, firm, affectionate, consistent discipline, they will learn and they will grow. And it might be even imperceptible, but then at times you'll, you'll, you'll notice and it'll pop into your head, wow, they've been really good lately. And that always brings a moment of reassurance and then it'll slip back and two step, steps forward, one step backwards. And that's the life of a parent. Now, in your, in, if in your effort you can see no special improvement, be not discouraged. This is what we just read. Patiently instruct Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. Press on until the victory is gained. Now, I've left the most important, Barna finding, for the very last. Because I can press on with all of my strength and all of my strategies and all of my doing my best as a parent. But if I don't have the power of God, I got nothing. Barna found that the successful parents prayed a lot for their children. Enormous amounts of prayer is how he put it in his book, Revolutionary Parenting. That's why I say this is the most important factor. When we pray, we tap into the ultimate power, God, in his spirit. And he sends his angels. These these three powers for good in the world together will do more than we can even imagine. Listen to the quotes on this. I know of nothing that causes me so great sadness as a prayerless home. So we'll start on the downside there. That is tragic. We need to pray much more than we do. Mothers and fathers, your compassionate Redeemer is watching you in love and sympathy, ready to hear your prayers and render you the assistance which you need in your life work. He knows the burden of every mother's heart and as her best friend in every emergency. And there are emergencies, aren't there? Behavior emergencies and otherwise. His everlasting arms support the God-fearing, faithful mother. So when I feel discouraged and I feel like I'm a failure of a parent and I just can't do this thing, why do my kids keep doing that? His everlasting arms will lift your arms up. If we are in prayer, seeking His strength, He knows the burdens of your heart. He is there in every emergency. Difficulties will arise. You will meet with obstacles. But look constantly to Jesus. This is where we started the seminar. Your personal devotions time, walking with God, your connection with Jesus, so that when an emergency arises, ask, Lord, what shall I do now? If you refuse to fret or scold, the Lord will show you the way. Parents, are you working with unflagging energy in behalf of your children? The God of heaven marks your solicitude, your earnest work, your constant watchfulness. He hears your prayers. With patience and tenderness, train your children for the Lord. All heaven is interested in your work because your children are going to be the ones with the final message. All heaven is interested in that because that's going to bring an end to the great controversy. And God will unite with you, crowning your efforts with success. I want to close with probably my favorite quotation from all of our councils on parenting. I'm going to let these words say everything to us, and we'll close in prayer. When the judgment shall sit, and the books shall be opened, when the well done of the great judge is pronounced, and the crown of immortal glory is placed upon the brow of the victor, 
many will raise their crowns in the sight of the assembled universe and, pointing to their mother, say, She made me all I am through the grace of God. Her instruction or prayers have been blessed to my eternal salvation. That's my wife. I tear up as I think about my children. And dads, too. This applies to us as well. But mothers, an angel cannot ask for a higher mission. To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Here's Scott Ritzema with another final minute message. How to prevent media addiction. First thing, parents, raise your children from the time they're young where you talk to them about addictions. Food, gambling, shopping, pornography, gaming, process addictions. Stories about how these things ruin people's lives so they can understand. Then, covenant to build a family God's way. How God asks us to. Study the Bible. What does the Bible have to say in this area of being a parent and raising your children in the Lord? We're going to give our kids many fulfilling real-life experiences together as a family. We're doing real life. We're not entering into simulated reality in the form of media immersion. Build good experiences for your family. Fourth, time with screens should be earned. But be careful what kind of screen time. Be very discerning with that. Brought to you by BeltofTruthMinistries.org.